0: if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, and I think this is going to be our last sermon from Mark this year, as the Christmas season, so just keep that in mind. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm like 80% sure. So, whatever that means. (laughs) We're going to read Mark chapter 14, verse 1, page 719 in the church Bibles. Chapter 14. Now, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man named, known as Simon the Leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body, performed to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told. In memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Amen. God bless the reading of his word and let's pray this morning. This is Revelation chapter 5 verse 2. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and to receive wealth. Father, as we turn to the Bible, please have mercy on us and help me in every way. Uh, We need more help than we even think. We need to see your Son. We need to applaud your name, understand the great worth of the church and her King, Jesus Christ, and we need to hear your voice as Jesus Christ is preached. So that's what we ask for, please. Amen. Well, as soon as I read this uh, text this week, I had a picture in my mind um, of this past summer. My wife and I were driving home from uh, a kind of a short visit uh, to see Lindsay. Um, She lives in Wisconsin right now, and so we were just a few miles outside of Duluth, and it was late enough that darkness was kind of settling in, and it was a beautiful night, so... I thought to myself, because when you're driving about 45 miles an hour on Highway 2, you have a lot of time to think. But anyway, I said to myself, I would really like to take a walk with my wife at Canal Park tonight. I think it was like in the middle of July. It might have even been July 4th weekend. And so, you know, beautiful night, beautiful lady, terrific company. And so I asked her, and she said yes, and we did and it was. It was really, really nice. And one of the things that we enjoyed on our walk, there's a couple of things, but the, one of the things that we enjoyed was as the evening set, there was this contrast. As you go around the loop there of, of the lake, Superior, there's a contrast of light and darkness. So there was the darkness of the night, and then you could contrast that with the lights of the businesses and the houses around the trail. And in that, Setting the lights were just so attractive. And your eyes, at least my eyes, were just drawn to the lights in the midst of all that surrounding darkness. It was really beautiful. And for me, it was kind of a night to remember. So you're asking, okay, why were you thinking this? Are you in trouble at home or something and you need to, you know, boost something up? No. The reason why I was thinking about this is because if you look at your Bible, if you look at verses one and two, it is dark If you look at verses 10 and 11 with Judas, it is also dark. However, if you look at verses 3 to 9, it is light and it is beautiful. It is remarkably attractive as the beautiful nature of this lady's act of worship, which Mark records for us, is set against the background of the darkness beforehand and the darkness afterhand, especially that which concerns the death of Jesus Christ. So if you like, in the midst of all this darkness, there is this event, the shiny, bright, extravagant light which unfolds as almost a reprieve from all the horror that is coming to Jesus and a reprieve from all the ignorance of the room where Jesus is eating in. And it is in dramatic contrast, this lady's gift to the the old, tired, redundant hypocrisy, religious hypocrisy, because remember, they think they're speaking for God and they're acting on God's behalf. Nevertheless, all the hypocrisy, which is part and parcel of these religious leaders and in the life of one of Jesus' own disciples, Judas. And one of the many ironies here is that the two sources of Jesus' encouragement And if you would, in a male-dominated society, were not his disciples, and they certainly were not the religious leaders, it was these two ladies, right? Remember the lady in chapter 12 and her dramatic financial gift to God the Father? And now we see this dear woman's extravagant gift to God the Son in chapter 14. If you like, Jesus in his mind is like, they get it. They understand kingdom values. They understand kingdom economics because my kingdom functions in proportion and certainly not in percentages. It's either all or it's nothing at all. The poor widow gave, you see that in chapter 12 at the end, all she had. The lady broke the jar of perfume and poured it all over Jesus' head. In both cases, they essentially emptied themselves for Jesus. And as you think about it, not only was it appropriate, but it was absolutely beautiful. So they didn't have any computer algorithms or simulations of what the gift will cost and how it will affect the bottom line. And so we're going to reallocate some other assets to make it for the death So it. Jesus is like, no, just give it all. They gave it all. It's the kingdom way. That's why we have to be rescued from our sins. Now, Mark sets for his readers, verse 1, your Bible's open, hopefully. He sets before them the time. It's a couple of days from the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Mark also tells us that the chief priests and the teachers of the law, again verse 1, have been doing what they've been doing since the beginning of Jesus' ministry. They have this kind of unrelenting, almost psychotic-like bent to find an opportunity to get rid of Jesus. They don't like what he's saying. They certainly don't like what he's doing. Once again, Mark says they are crafty. In their approach. So yeah, they are hypocritical, and one of the ways their hypocrisy is revealed is by stealth, right? Sly. It's just like the evil one, always in the shadows, rarely puts himself forward. It's kind of always the back room. I, mean, I was thinking this week, I do not think these men as of yet told Jesus man to man the truth and said, You know, we want to murder you. I don't find that in the gospels. It's always stealth, it's always sly. Verse 2, they were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him, but not during the feast, they said. Oh, thank you. Or, Or the people may riot. Wow, okay, they want to kill him. They just don't want a commotion when they kill him. Wow, a murder with no mess. Wonderful. I mean, the irony here is just dramatic. And what they're seeking here to do secretly, they are not going to be able to do. Indeed, the betrayal of Jesus, it took place a lot earlier than they expected. So his death took place on the very day in Jerusalem where the city was most full of people, the Passover uh, feast being the kind of high holy day, hundreds of thousands, if not almost a million people all there, a trial which was very public, wasn't private, it was a loud trial, and there was no quietness in it at all. Even as Jesus carries his cross down the Via Dolorosa, open air, in the streets, people everywhere. And so we see that their little frail but devilish scheme is all overturned by God's providential hand, just like God planned. Listen to your Bible. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Christ was handed over to you. Peter, preaching to the crowds there in Jerusalem. Christ was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So you had your little plan, but overruling your little plan was the plan of God. Now, we won't spend any more time than this. I simply want you to see there's the darkness there. There's the darkness of Judas' betrayal. And then there's this beautiful light in the midst of all that, of this lady and her action. So that's our three points. We're going to consider the lady's action. Then we're going to consider the room's reaction to her action. And finally, we're going to consider Jesus' commendation to what took place. So number one, the lady's action. Well, as the Bible says, the meal that Jesus attended is in Bethany. So Bethany is about a mile and a half east of Jerusalem in the house of Simon the leper. The name Simon, by the way, was a very common name. And so presumably he was a leper. Beyond that, Mark doesn't say, so we won't say. However, if your Bible is open, you see that Mark does tell us quite specifically about the container. Remember verse 3? It was an alabaster jar. So you should think here of a very shiny white bottle, very fragile, and the bottle itself had some level of value. So, So think about that wonderful tech company, Apple. Whenever they put their products in their boxes, their boxes are just as good as their product because people sell just the boxes online and get some pretty decent money just for an empty box. It's the same thing here. So, Mark tells us about the container. He also tells us about its content. You see it there in your Bible. It was a very costly for perfume, almost, if you would, like a massaging oil, of pure nard. And so, pure nard will take you to northern India, to the Himalayas, to a plant grown at the foothill of the Himalayas, and the excretions which come from those plants, which immediately brought my mind to essential oils, right? Some of you use essential oils. And some oils have a medicinal benefit to them. And so I was so curious, I looked up nard, and I said, nard, medicinal benefit. And this is what I read. Nard has the quality to relax the mind and the body. Now, can we appreciate this? Jesus is a couple of days away, maybe even a little less than the most unjust, insidious, beat down to his death, which will ever take place on this planet. And he's going to go to a garden, and he's going to pray, and he's going to crumble under the weight of what is coming. And so in my mind, one of the benefits of this lady's gift is, to some extent, a medicinal Benefit so that the mind of Christ and the body of Christ, at least for then, at least for that moment, can be relaxed. Now, I don't know about you, but if you ever had one of those moments, like I'm thinking I have one of those moments, holy cow, I could have used a bucket full of nard. Just pour it all over me. Relax my mind and relax my body. The container, an alabaster jar, the content, extremely precious. The cost, Very, very expensive. That's what we find in verse 4. So what Mark is telling us here is this wasn't, you know, a quick pick-me-up from Walgreens. This wasn't, we're going to go to their house. We've got to bring them something, go to Target, buy a gift, right? No, that would be very, very nice in and of itself. But that's not this. This was ultra costly. This was a liberal act of generosity, which gave occasion, as we read, to the disapproval of the people in the room. And so the point is, is, as you would suspect, perfume that cost a year's wage cannot be thought of as ordinary. I mean, if there's a man here who has per- purchased perfume for his wife, ladies be gentle here, that costs one year's salary, I mean, that would be amazing, right? That would be the kind of guy you'd be like, whoa, hey, hey, <laughs> wow. Now, I'm sure if you, if, you're, if you actually did that, I'm sure she's worth it. But it's extravagant. John's Gospel tells us, by the way, that the nard, uh, uh, its scent was so strong that the whole room was filled with its fragrance. Okay, that's the monetary cost, but, but there, was, there was more there because scholars tell us this kind of alabaster jar filled with very expensive perfume made of nard would have been a family heirloom. And so if a person who lived in a family which was able to provide that kind of thing it would have been reserved for a very special purpose used by a lady for one of two things. Namely, number one, her dowry and the occasion of her wedding. Or if she's unmarried and the bottle unused, this jar of perfume would have served for the very purpose that she was using for the Lord Jesus Christ. It would have been used for her own burial. In other words, when Jesus receives this act, there's no insincerity in, in this woman's Work. In a very real sense, she was pouring out all that represented to her her future over the head of Jesus. So she was pouring out her future security over the head of Jesus. It's the kind of thing that we say sometimes, well, if push comes to some, at least I have that to fall back on, right? I can go to that and I can live for a year on the strength of that if things go really bad. Yet this lady has given that which represented her future security to Jesus. So put yourself in her place for a moment. You've been saving for a long, long time. Great. For retirement, great. College for the kids, great. For security, wonderful. And then a moment comes to you which you are compelled to give it all to the king. Right? Or you're in a place where some sacrifice for Jesus is needed And it's going to be costly. But since it's for Jesus, you're compelled to do it. Loved ones, that is the kingdom way. That is not a bad moment. That is not a scary moment. It is a glorious moment as it's done for Jesus. So she had aspirations that were represented in the perfume. She had personal plans that were vested in that perfume. However, she not only sacrifices her future, but her reputation as well. Well, why do you say that? Well, because... This lady breaks a couple of social customs of the day. One, it was customary for the host to greet the guest of honor in some way to honor the person coming to the home. So the host was supposed to give the high honor. She breaks in, she breaks social custom, and she pours over the head of Jesus the equivalent of $59,055 worth of perfume. That's the current average annual salary for a person in America. $59,000 worth of perfume just poured out over the head of Jesus. So she was not thinking what's the very least she could do for Jesus and still show some love. She was thinking, what's the very most I could do for Jesus to give him all my love, right? All my loving, So she sacrifices her future, she sacrifices her reputation, but she breaks another social custom in her interruption of the meal because it was okay way back then for a lady to interrupt a meal if she had food in her hand to give to everybody to eat. That was fine. But it wasn't fine if she was going to just join in on the conversation. Now, that would be called an interruption. That would be wrong. So her reputation in some ways is shocked. Her interruption breaks convention convention, and her extravagant act invites, and you see it there in verse 4, heavy condemnation of a portion of the people in the room. And again, she does it all for Jesus. She's in love, isn't she? Not eros, but agape. I was thinking this morning, Maybe I should be careful here. But there's a song by the fabulous Thunderbirds that says, How do you spell love? That's the first line of the song. And it says, M-O-N-E-Y. <laughs> well, we know on some level that's not true. But here it's kind of true. Right? How do you spell love? P-E-R-F-U-M-E, which costs a lot of M-O-N-E-Y. <laughs> so her, her social respectability goes out along with the perfume in the bottle. As we're told, she doesn't open it carefully to spell. Pour, to pour out a splash or two, you know, like some grandmothers might. We understand that. She doesn't pour out a little and then keep some for herself, like I might do. Or, you know, she wants to save it for a rainy day, like some pragmatic people will do. No, verse 3 she breaks the jar and poured it all over the head of Jesus. That is an act of total self giving, total abandonment. When the flask was broken, that was it. It would not be able to be reused. The bottle, nothing. It's done. You know, you know Shakespeare, how do I love you? Let me count the ways. I love you to the depth and the breadth and height my soul can reach. That's this lady. All of me for all of you. Now, let's think of this in two ways. First, this lady is clearly a picture of Jesus Christ. Because he, like she, sacrifices his future for us. He, like she, sets aside his reputation. He, like she, breaks social custom again and again. And it seemed like at every turn, just like this lady, Christ was always under the condemnation of people. You're not worth it. You can't do that. You can't say that. Are you really from God? And as she breaks the bottle, I'm thinking of here of Christ's body, just broken and as the perfume is poured Jesus spills his life blood to his death for our sin. Can't miss that. That's the first thing. The second thing this act by this lady was premeditated in the sense that somewhere in her life she was able to think through the great value which Jesus Christ had to her. I mean I could sit see her in my mind she's got her little book out and she's thinking about how Jesus is so wonderful and she's writing things down for Jesus and so somewhere in that moment she decided that she's going to do this and then this premeditated act is set beside this dramatic extravagant self-forgetting act whereby instead of dealing with it you know kind of like moderately she deals with it radically she breaks the bottle. And by the way, the verb used there for broke is not drip drop. It is a cascade of perfume over the head of Jesus. And in fact, I think it's John's gospel. It says she did his feet. And the point was the, the perfume just reached his entire body. This is so beautiful. A portion of the people in the room is against this. One of Jesus' own disciples, Judas, will sell him out for the equivalent of 600 bucks. And then there's this lady. Do you remember Psalm 23? Because Jesus is to be preached from the Psalms, you have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That's the action of the lady. Now, the reaction of the room, verse 4. Some of them, those present, were saying indignantly to one another. And according to the Greek text, this was far more than annoyance. This was fury. This was veracity. This was rage. Money can do that to us, can it? I mean, it can make people really, really mad. I can't believe this unbelievable waste. Such extravagant. I tell you, in my day, we didn't. Who does she think she is? So they grumbled to themselves in verse 5 at the end they they growled at each other right because that's the sense of the word they criticized her sharply so they grumbled to themselves and they growled at her literally that word would be their nostrils were flaring snorting like an angry horse so there was an expression in that room of great hostility because money can do that as well part of me would want to say to them back off it's not even your perfume It's hers. Who do you think you are? Part of me would also say to them, what's wrong with you? It's Jesus. And by the way, wouldn't it be nice to be good to your fellow man? Like to love your neighbor as you love yourself? I mean, some of you here have your little treat yourself days and your spa days. That is like brilliant. That's smart. But wouldn't it be cool if we had those days given by us to our brothers and our sisters? Jesus would think it's cool. The grumblers and the growlers were doing the terrible sin of trying to judge a person's worth. And that is a prerogative which only belongs to God. So the darkness of the scribes and the chief priests is one thing, but here the darkness is quite another. And clearly the one thing they could not tolerate was a visible expression of wholehearted devotion to Jesus. Right? In some ways her act is a dirt-revealing mirror and it reveals the state of our hearts towards Jesus Christ the way that we respond to what she did the way that we respond to someone else doing like she did it's going to tell a whole host of stories about our heart the way he took the most precious and costly thing she possessed and she spent it all on Jesus how appropriate how liberating She must have known that love isn't love if it always has to calculate the cost, right? Love is not love if it always has to calculate the cost. No, verse 8, she did what she could. And so the room, those in the room, they use the same old thin disguises to to cover up their whole, their cold hearts and their tight fists. It's it's the best line if you want to shut down anything, right? Why this waste, verse 4, it could have been given to the poor. Right? Most projects and most dreams die with that line. Right? As if there's not plenty in God's kingdom for both. Archbishop of the Anglican Church, Justin Welby, spoke, this was two years ago, and he said, in 30 minutes, the world's hunger problem could be solved. He's right. It could be solved. There's so much if we just allocated it correctly. And so these people in the room are confronted with an extravagant gesture of another for Jesus. And the way that they deal with the inadequacies of themselves is to kind of take the high ground. And they use the poor as their prop. Now, Jesus is going to deal with that later, but let's just think about this. John's gospel tells us that it was actually Judas who was in the room who led that mantra, right? Who does she think she is? Do we need to give it all to the poor, right? John chapter 12, verse 6. In the power of the Holy Spirit, John writes, Judas was a thief. He used to help himself to the money. Which, if you think about it, on one level, gives you a sense of what Jesus really thinks about money. Because he puts a thief in charge of his ministry team's money. Think that out. So the room then is filled with the old tired lines of thinking, grumblers and growlers, filled with people uh, ignorant in their judgments and they're greedy and they completely devalue Jesus and they behave like the perfume is theirs. It's terrible. Listen to J.C. Ryle. The spirit of these narrow-minded fault finders is unhappily all too common. Their followers and successors to be found in every part of Christ's visible church. There is never found a generation which defies what they call extremes in religion and are incessantly recommending what they term moderation in service of Christ. If a, if a person devotes his time and money and affection to the pursuit of worldly things, they don't blame him. If he gives himself up to the service of money, pleasure, or politics, they find no fault And they might even cheer him. But if the same person devotes himself and all he has to Christ, they can scarcely find words to express their sense of this person's folly. He's out of his mind, they say. He's a fanatic. And so one of the ways that they deflect what this woman does is to treat her like a fanatic. That's very sly. I was told a long, long time ago by my sister that a Christian fanatic is someone who loves Jesus more than I do. Makes sense. So again, why this reaction? It's her money. It was her expression of love. It's personal. So she wasn't saying, okay, that's done. Okay, who's next? Come on, don't you want to love Jesus? Who's going to do what I do? She did none of that. It seems the people in the room, vocal about this, just could not tell the difference between waste and grace. Right? They couldn't tell the difference between waste and grace. The perfume poured over Jesus. The scent which filled the room bore witness to the cold, calculated logic. So these are not people of principle. I mean, can you imagine if the lady was looking for approval from the group and she was going to put her love for Christ to a vote in that room? She would have lost. It wouldn't be prudent. Not at this juncture. Times are hard. Money is scarce. Moderation is what's needed here. And, and you don't know what might happen in the future. And then the classic, you know, this is the classic line. This is God's money. Yes, cloth it is exactly. And look here how he likes to spend his money. You see? Extravagantly for the cause of Christ. The woman is scolded because her love for Jesus caused her to give up her most treasured possession. And in terms of gospel proclamation, if you kind of equate the two, do you think that some of the richest people and the brightest people in the world think that that would be a good investment? I mean, come on. Like, you tell them we're going to build a hospital, we're on it. You tell them we're going to train a whole lot of people to tell the world about Jesus, they're like, really? You guys do that. We're not going to put any money in that. Hospitals, sure. But these people with Jesus and train them up, nah, we're not going to do that. I couldn't help but think of CT Studd. He lived in part of the ninth century and the early part of the 20th century. And, and C.T. Studd, as a student, he was an intellectual giant. He was an athlete of elite status, and he was mega rich. So he was like LeBron James, Tom Cruise, Bill Gates, and kind of like a human cocktail. And he gave all that up for Jesus Christ. So the people asked, where's Stud?" And they're like, well, he's in China. Well, what's he doing there? Well, he thinks it's important for people to hear about Jesus in China, so he went to China. He's investing his whole life for Jesus in China. What about all his money? Well, he gave it all away to Jesus. We're talking the equivalent of millions of dollars. He gave it all away to Jesus. What about his wife? Well, he kept the equivalent of about $1 million for her. Well, oh, that's good. Not really. She is such a fanatic like he was that when she found out that he kept some money back for her, she was ticked. She was ticked that he thought Jesus wouldn't take care of her. So she said to her, hey, stud, <laughs> CT stud, I want you to give all your money to William Booth of the Salvation Army. And he did. And do you remember, some of you might know this, this is the great journal entry. It's actually an a, a eight-verse poem. This is what C.S. C.T. Studd wrote, if Jesus Christ be God and he died for me, then no amount of sacrifice I can make for him can be too great. You see, that is biblical truth. Earthly logic, what a waste. Biblical truth, yeah. And loved ones, that is the economics of the kingdom. How do I know that? Listen to your Bible, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. You see, that's why if you're in Christ this morning, you are in Christ. He emptied himself for you. You should enjoy that. And this kind of thing that the lady has done, that's in our bloodline, we should imitate that. And so the people there, and by the way, the disciples were part of this, They have seen, the disciples, they've seen how good Jesus was and how loving Jesus was and how kind and generous Jesus was. Remember Jesus told them at the end of chapter 13, stay awake, be alert. And they essentially are asleep in the room because they scold the lady And they scold the one person who is prepared to lay it all on the line for Jesus Christ in this extravagant display of self-forgiveness. Hey, lady, almost the whole room is against you. Would anyone like to be in that position where almost the whole room is against you? A room filled with grumblers and growlers against you because of your love and affection for Jesus thank God that Jesus comes to her aid that's our final point her action their reaction Jesus' commendation verse 6 you see it there Jesus says leave her alone by the way, my wife and I in the morning, we have a Bible app that we work through the Bible with and we are just happen to be going through Mark. At the same time, we're going through Mark and the guy's voice is very dramatic and so we always get a giggle because we play this line a lot because when the guy says it from the app, it's like, leave her alone. <laughs> it's like, oh wow, that's great. <laughs> I wish I could be like that, right? Verse 6b, she has done a beautiful thing. Verse 9, she has done what she could. Now, when Jesus says, by the way, verse 7, that we always have the poor with us, he's not saying, well, you don't have to worry about the poor. They're always going to be around, so, you know, eh. No. I mean, think, on a human level, first, Jesus himself was poor. He didn't have a house. He didn't have any possessions, no bank account, and his ministry was supported by ladies. So Jesus was poor. Secondly, Jesus here was actually paraphrasing an Old Testament scripture, Deuteronomy fifteen eleven. For the people will never, for the poor will never cease out of the land. Therefore, open wide your hand to them. In other words, there will always be a responsibility and always be an opportunity to care for the poor. It's never going to go away. However, here in Mark 14 is a unique and unrepeatable opportunity. You're always going to have the poor, verse 7b. You're not always going to have me, not this way. If you like, it's Elvis Presley. It's now or never. Come hold me tight, right? And she did, and it was beautiful, and she did all she could. Verse 8, Jesus says, my body is now anointed, right? So that was the context because he is being prepared for his burial he's going to be betrayed he's going to be beaten he's going to be nailed to a cross he's going to die no one's going to take the time to anoint his body not at first they're going to put him in the tomb but his body won't be anointed she's doing what needs to be done so Jesus' commendation reaches its apex verse 9 I tell you the truth wherever the gospels preached what she did will be told and retold and retold in memory of her so this is a memorial. It's a perpetual memorial for her. That's beautiful, isn't it? By the way, I, again, I was curious. The eternal flame, uh, JFK's eternal flame, Arlington National Cemetery. There's a flame that keeps burning. It's been burning since 1960-something, right? And so I was wondering, how much does that cost? A month? It's $200. So it's not that bad, right? 200 bucks a month to keep the flame going. So Jesus said, she's just like me. She gives up something of great value, leaves it, and she gives it away. I was rich. I became poor so that you, through my poverty, as I, Jesus, just empty myself on the cross for your sins, you can become rich. Now, do you think that she thought that her act would be magnified to such a degree? Do you, do you think that she knew Christ would use what she did some 2,000 years later? No way. No way, because Calvary love is focused on the object of its affection. I mean, if she did that, it would be the equivalent of her doing something really, really nice at home for her husband, and then she leaves the house and tells the whole world how nice she was to her husband. I mean, like, baby, don't do that. That was personal. That was just between you and I. No, she did not calculate this. This is Jesus' initiative, because this is a gospel story. This is a gospel story. This is Calvary love. Focus. She's a type of Christ. In some ways, we're all the people in the room, beginning with myself. And Jesus can help us here. We don't have to deal in becoming people of pragmatism and percentages and, you know, tight-fisted kind of thing, because in all that, our obscurity will will just kind of fade away, if you would, in obscurity. Sinclair Ferguson, the presence of a grudging spirit towards Christ and his work is always a sinister sign. I don't believe we want that. We can be like this lady, though, extravagant self-forgetfulness and relationship, right, to all of our hopes, ambitions, and dreams. We just tank them. We just put them away for Jesus. And if you're here and you're thinking through this, if you need to do business with Jesus, do business with Jesus, because the pathway to lasting honor is always to honor Christ. And what you say about yourself and what other people say about you and on one level, it really doesn't matter. All that matters is what God says. And look what God says about this dear lady. God sent his son Jesus Christ to give his whole self, suffer humiliations, suffer condemnations, And all that suffering, in some way, tells me and you, we were worth it. So, you know, if you're kind of a Humpty grumpy, and I'll leave that up to yourself, go home and rethink the value of Jesus Christ. Rethink the the value of the body of Jesus Christ, which is his church. But still, as you're working through that, you just keep before your head how loved you are. So you might not get it yet, is what I'm saying. And you're in Christ. By golly, it's okay. It's okay. It might take years. You might never get it. But if you're in Christ, you're covered. And remember, in God's kingdom, no one, no one receives what they deserve. It's better because in God's kingdom, because they are in Christ, we just get what Christ deserves you see that's christianity that's the gospel so i hope this wasn't like a beat down you need to give more i hope that wasn't the case because that's not the gospel the gospel is jesus gave everything you just enjoy that and doggone it do your best to live in that truth all right let's pray thanks for your attention this morning We're just going to close with the words of C.T. Studd before we take communion. Only one life, it will soon pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. The the disciples should have known this. They were with Jesus a long, long time. Father, uh, well, men, if you would come forward to, to serve. Father, as we think about these things, thank you that we are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the beauty of the gospel. Thank you that in this story, we see our worth. We see that Jesus, like this lady, gave it all out of love. So help us, God, with the power of the Holy Spirit in those appropriate moments to do just like our king and live in the joy of that comfort. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.